Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep Travel Diary by Alfred Bester. This appears to have been first published in Starburst, 1958, which is a, a book I scanned and took all the public domain uh, stories out and put them on the website so everybody can read them. But if you're very lucky today, Eric will read it for us, and um, it'll take maybe seven minutes, and then we'll be discussing this very interesting story. My pleasure, Jesse. The... Uh... The story is told uh, with epigraphs. Each epigraph um, is followed by a bit of a diary entry. It's called Travel Diary. So I will, I hope, make my, my voice clear to you, if you're listening, uh, where we're getting those italicized epigraphs. By the end of the 22nd century and at the cost of lives and money exceeding that of the final world war, communication between the planets of the solar system was finally established. History of Solar Cities, John W. Lackland. June 10th, Venus, staying at the Excelsior. Everybody speaks English, so no trouble at all. But they simply have no idea how to make martinis. Nuisance went to that marvelous dressmaker Linda told me about, bought five divine creations for practically peanuts. Tom said, exchange favors us. I said, what means, Tom? Our dollars buy more here than home. Self, then why can't buy six gowns? Tom, doesn't favor us that much. But I noticed he bought another camera. Pig, ran into Trumbulls and the, Ro the, Trumbulls and the Rogers took us to a marvelous bistro where Clyde Pippin from the old key club is playing. Love his songs. Love that man. Tom, too embarrassing, adding up check with pencil. It's true they all cheat us, but why can't he show them that we don't give a Mars and Saturn next? Then Alpha Centaurus. Speed was the one barrier to practical communion with the planetary systems of the far stars. When faster-than-light propulsion was at last developed through centuries of research, it became possible to travel to the far stars within weeks rather than years. Development of Galactic Travel, Ezra Kudert. July 19th, Alpha Centaurus, staying at the Excelsior. Everybody speaks English, so no trouble at all. But can't drink the water, nuisance. Went to that marvelous place, that marvelous lace man Linda told me about, bought five yards for practically peanuts. People here too dirty and positively amoral, disgusting and rude. Tom took pictures of some kind of silly ceremony. People began screaming at us, tried to steal T's camera. Official came along and jabbered in broken English. They say no more take, please break. Tom, break what? Official, religious, sacred, no take, look-see. Break, Tom. You got the nerve to tell me that clowning is that tell me that clowning is religion. Official. Yes, please. Pointing to camera. Please give. Must pl break, please, Tom. To me. How about that for nerve? Give them my fourteen hundred dollar camera to bust just because it's taken a few religious pictures. Self. If it's good enough for Notre Dame, it's good enough for them. Tom gave them some money and we left. Ran into the Trumbulls and Rogers. 
took them down, took them to a marvelous bistro where Clyde Pippen is playing now. Made me homesick to hear the old key club tunes. Love that man. Tom, too funny, pretending to be visiting dignitary, said was famous senator from Saturn, said was here investigating, scared them all to death. Laugh. I thought I'd die. Beetlejuice next. Conflicting cultures brought about inevitable clashes which culminated in the Great Galactic War. Beetlejuice, bankrupt and desperate, attempted a costly and controversial experiment. The government was overthrown and a one-party business despotism established under the leadership of an economic dictator. The Political Economy of Space, Arthur Raskober. July 23rd, Beetlejuice. Staying at the Excelsior. Everybody speaks English, so very convenient. Can't understand talk about poverty and shortages here. Not true. Food, marvelous. Plenty cream, butter, eggs, etc. here in hotel. Not true about unhappiness. All waiters, maids, etc. in hotel. Cheerful and smiling. The Medina certainly has made the planes fly on time. Went to that marvelous beautician Linda told me about. Took all my courage in both hands and cut my hair. Trey chic, but was afraid to show Tom. When he finally saw, furious, said made me look like a damned foreigner. He'll get used to it. Ran into the Trumbulls and Rogers. We all went to a marvelous bistro where Clyde Pippin is playing. Love that man. After two months travel, finally became cosmopolitan enough to introduce myself to him. Something would never have dared before. Now, for tre- now was tremendously poised, said Mr. Pippin, admired you for 20 years, ever since was child. He, thanks, honey, self, always adored the way you sang Treetop. He, no, that was Charlie Hoyt, that's Charlie Hoyt's number. I never sing it, honey. Self, well, I never asked Charlie Hoyt for his autograph, but I'm asking you. I was too sophisticated. Leave for Andromeda tomorrow. Very excited. Will be high spot of entire trip. Perhaps the most amazing incident in the course of the exploration of space was the discovery that time travel had already been developed in Andromeda. Permission for limited use by scientists, historians, and students was granted in 2754. The Exploration of Time, Stark Robinson. August 1, Andromeda, staying at the Excelsior. Everybody speaks English divinely. Tom and self to authorities armed with letters from Chamber of Commerce, NAM, Senator Wilkins, and Joe Cates, whose nephew practically runs the State Department. We wanted time trip. They said no, not for tourists. Too expensive, only for study. Tom finally laid down the law, told a few lies, and made a few threats. They said yes. You have to be firm with these eggheads. Tom picked September 5, 1665 in London. Self. Why, Tom? Because is date of great fire that destroyed London. Always dreamed about. Always wanted to see. Self. Don't be childish. A fire's a fire. Want to see Marie Antoinette's clothes. Tom. No, I swung it so we see what I want. Selfish. Had to exchange money for 17th century money. Had to wear 17th century clothes. Not properly cleaned, I thought. Almost didn't go. Was right. Fire is just a fire. But bought some heavenly silver and china and ten place settings of divine flatware. Also tea set. 
Tom couldn't complain for once. He bought six swords and a helmet for the rumpus room decorations. Funniest thing about the trip is the fact that we could hardly understand the people here. In 1665, they couldn't speak their own English. Next week, home. Faster than light speed while traveling through the universe produces a physical paradox. Although the traveler is conscious of the passage of time within the spaceship, subjective time, actually he is being transported so rapidly that the trip seems to have taken no time at all to the rest of the world. Objective time. In other words, a spaceship leaves Andromeda on August 1, bound for Earth. It is August 1 when the ship arrives. No time has elapsed in the universe, but on board the ship, traveling at faster than light speed, seven days have elapsed. Paradoxes of Space Travel, Oliver Nielsen. August 20, home. Although is August 20 in this diary is actually only June 14 here on Earth. Cannot get used to subj and obj time. Have gone three months by our counting, but only 14 days by Earth's counting. Hate this. Makes me feel as if I'd never left home. <laughs> Distributed all gifts we brought back. Linda was impos. Insists she told me, get her a shocking pink peignoir on Callisto. Not powder blue. That's a damned lie, and she knows it. She can't wear shocking with her hair. Tom, furious, forgot to take lens cap off new camera when photographing Great Fire. All pictures blank. Now nobody believes he was important enough to wangle time trip. The Trumbulls and the Rogers called, want us to get together and have reunion. Suggest the new Colony Club. Clyde Pippin there with his marvelous act, dying to go, but had to refuse. Too exhausted. The universe is a great place to visit, but I'd sure hate to live there. <laughs> um, uh, unreliable narrator. <laughs> uh, I think it helps to have those, um, those scholarly excerpts uh, placed in amongst the... Uh, the uh, unreliable narrator. I, I I think most people would get that, that she's an unreliable narrator. Yeah. I think the fact that she thinks that she's traveling and obviously is only reproducing where she's been again and again lets us know mm. that she is blind to the realities of the world around her. She Every hotel she stays at is the Excelsior, right? Yep. Um, uh, I, I think this is uh, interesting in, a, in a, a, a number of ways. One of them being, by the way, uh, thank you for that reading. My pleasure. Um, uh, one of the one of the ways it's interesting is, um, you know, Alfred Bester, as we both know, uh, was kind of a travel writer. Um, he has much experience traveling and writing about traveling. Um, yeah, he was actually senior editor for travel for Condé Nast Holiday. Yeah. Um, uh, which was a major magazine. I, I remember uh, my grandparents were readers of that. And, um, you know, if you were a jet setter, um, it really sort of told you what was going on and what's going on in the world and where to go. Um, but there's kind of a... Um, I felt this when I, I first went to Europe, the only time I went to Europe. I felt like I needed to not be the the ugly tourist, you know, who goes in and uh, does things wrong. Um, so one of the things I did, which I think is uh, both good and bad, was I didn't, I deliberately didn't bring my camera when I went to Europe. Um, and 
most people that that's just impossible. This is before you know cell phone cameras, so um, I I assume that I would completely not avoid using a camera when I would go today, but just that was a deliberate choice so as to avoid not being this lady basically, <laughs> or this lady's husband, Tom. Um, you know who you know who she's she is right from her character. You've seen these people. <laughs> well, I think it's an entire social set. Right. The jet set, is it? Or is it? I don't think they're the jet set. I think they're sort of frequent. I mean, the jet set owns their own jets. I think these are the people who just vacation a lot. They expect mm. things. Uh, they're throwing their money around. I think it's worth pointing out that this story is published in 1958, uh, the same year in which Litterer and Burdick's The Ugly American was mm. published, um, a, a novel about how much America misunderstands what it's doing in South Asia. And um, Americans are blind to what they are doing uh, because they stay within their own cocoon of culture that is preserved for them by their money and their cultural ignorance. And that that novel stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for a year and a half. Uh, so I think here in 1958, um, yeah, sure, we've seen. Uh, the woman who wants to just go get more dresses cheaply. We've seen the man who wants to think of everything as uh, uh, a curio to put up on his rumpus room uh, wall, undoubtedly a converted basement um, in a McMansion that he has. Um, these are exploitative people. Uh, they care nothing for somebody else's religion. They decide that that clowning mm. can't be a religion because it doesn't look like a religion to them. Mm. So it can't be a religion. And rather than accept that somebody has a certain view, they just make it go away with money. Um, the Trumbulls and the Rogers are there with them every step of the way. Clyde Pippin is there with them every step of the way. Yeah. They... When she says in the last line, the universe is a great place to visit, but I sure hate to live there. It echoes the famous line about New York is a great place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there because let's face it, it is in fact one of the most crowded places um, on earth. And I'll be going to meet a friend in Manhattan for lunch tomorrow. Um, but if you don't live in the universe, where do you live? <laughs> right. And yeah. we know where she lives. She lives inside her own idea of what her life is. And yes. she lives with a social group that just travels around with her, not really traveling. Even time isn't real for these people. Right. Trump, the Trumbulls and the Rogers are there with them every step. Um, as, and so is Clyde Pippin. I, I think that that's the, the highlight for me is when she talks to Clyde Pippin. Um, and, and by the way, I want to point out that um, she actually gets the name of the club wrong at least once. Um, the first time she mentions, she calls it the key club, uh, key uh, with a K and then club with a C. And then the second time she calls it the key club with a K and then a K. Um, and then when she comes back, um, they go to the colony club with two Ks. So... I thought the Colony that, Club was a new, a newest. I think it is a new one. I think it is a new one. But uh, given that she's just so, we know she doesn't. She says she loves him. She's loved him since she was a kid. And she says, "I love 
that song you do, uh, Treetop, right? And he says, that's not my song. I never do that song. And, and her response is, yeah, but I wouldn't ask for his autograph. I'm asking for yours. Um, which, it, it's just like so arrogant as to be hilarious, right? You can't, you can't be mad at her. She's so stupid. <laughs> she just doesn't care. Right? She says she loves him, but she actually doesn't. Indeed, but you know, you and I, and I think most readers would see that she's arrogant, but she yeah. calls that sophisticated. That's right. Which puts cosmopolitan, us, she says. Right, which puts us right back into the world of the ugly American. Mm-hmm. I, I think that as funny as this is, there's a uh, a pretty damning portrait being drawn here of of what these people stand for. And to the extent that it's only the people with money, this is 1958, after all. It's before inexpensive jet travel means that, you know, a quarter of America gets to visit other lands regularly. Mm-hmm. And when I say quarter, I'm talking about, you know, college educated. You know, it's um, this is before that. This is when traveling is still a big deal. Um, and, and yet they go. Sophisticated is not the same as uh, cosmopolitan is not the same as knowledgeable. It can be in her case. And we assume Tom's and we assume the Trumbulls and the Rogers because they clearly are the same folks as as is Linda and all the others for whom they get gifts. Um, They're arrogant and they are lucky enough to be able to pull it off. But I have a question. Mm -hmm. Um, Tom wrangles his way to get back to uh, September 5th, 1665. Now, being an English major, um, I know that the Annus Mirabilis, that included, among other things, the Great Fire of London, was 1666. (laughs) Now, it turns out that the Great Fire uh, is is Sunday, the 2nd of September, through Thursday, the 6th of September. So the 5th of September is accurate. The Great Fire would have been raging in London on September 5th, but not that year. Now, what I don't know is, are we supposed to think that these people got fooled, that there's a typo, that Bester just made a mistake. I, this is very troubling to me because it's not left alone. That is, in theory, they go back. She comes back with some flatware. He comes back with some swords. But he doesn't come back with pictures because he left the lens cap on his camera. And I kind of have to wonder, is this just an error, just like, you know, the key club spelled with club K C is it just sloppy because Bester was writing too fast or the typesetter was going too fast and nobody proofread it properly. Or is this a strategic, a strategic mistake that we're supposed to pick up on? Um, My, my, my guess when I was first reading it was that he was going to start the fire. Um, you know, this is classic tra- time travel, right? You go to see the, uh, you, there's a story by, I think it's Michael Moorcock called Behold the Man, where 
he goes back to see Jesus on the cross in the time machine, right? He looks everywhere and everywhere. Can't find him, right? Uh, at the end of the story, he's still looking, but he's up on a cross, and there's two thieves behind him. Right? Yep. <laughs> Just a great little joke story. Well, it's a fairly big joke story, but the whole the whole point of time travel where you go to see a, a major historical event, um, and a lot of cities have burned, right? So this is this is the, the fact that he wanted to see this one, and he got the year wrong. I think um, is kind of supported by the fact that um, the fire is just a fire. It's not uh, for her. Her description of it, right? The Great Fire of London was right. Fire is just a fire. And then what do they do? Instead of like run from the fire and you know try to avoid being burned to death because all cities on fire, they go shopping. So it's very possible that the Great Fire of London is going to be next year. They went to 1665, um, and there was, you know, maybe a bonfire, but it wasn't like, or maybe there's a house fire, but it wasn't like um, the whole city was on fire, right? Because he just didn't know. He just doesn't care that much, just like her. Uh, that whole not caring thing is so important. Um, when I was reading this with a couple of students, um, a couple of uh, students from China, um, they were... Um, uh, telling me that this uh, section, the section where they go to um, Alpha Centaurus, yeah. and they go to see a religious ceremony, and then have that religious uh, ceremony go badly because they've broken a taboo. That's like a local native taboo. You know, there are a lot of native ceremonies around here where, yeah, you you are absolutely not allowed to bring cameras if if you are even allowed to go, um, because. It keeps it holy. It keeps it sacred. It keeps it special, right? Um, it's not something that you you want to relive in that way. And and the way they treat it is, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter, right? And and in fact, when um, it ends, how does this end? He, Tom gave them some money and we left, right? They didn't want money. They wanted them to obey the local custom and the official was saying, please, yes, give me your camera. This is unacceptable. We need to break it. I'm sorry, but this is how it is. Please, yes, right? So they're very, um, they're calling them rude, amoral, positively disgusting, dirty, all of these things, right? They're the ugly Americans for sure. Absolutely. Well, if, if they're American at all. <laughs> I, I like, I, such I like your suggestion that, that, 1665 is not a, a misprint or a mistake in, in Bester's research that the clever reader will recognize that they just happen to come down and see a house fire. Mm -hmm. It's just an ordinary fire in a city built basically with wooden buildings. Um, that, that's, that's, that's sort of nice. Uh, it suggests that we give deeper reading to some of the pieces of this. And I think that uh, if we take that up, uh, to go back to the, the religious example, the religious mm -hmm. ceremony, there's a marvelous book by Edmund Carpenter called Oh, What a Blow, a famous anthropologist, called Oh, What a Blow That Phantom Gave Me, uh, in which he tells how the anthropological crew of which he's a part um, wanted to film a, a male initiation ceremony, uh, I think somewhere in New Guinea. Now, this happens inside a hut. It includes uh, circumcision, not for babies. <laughs> um, and it's it's an all-male 
domain. Females are never allowed into this domain. Uh, they finally persuade the, the locals to let them go in to film. They do it with gifts and all sorts of things. They, they get them to go in to film the ceremony. And in fact, they allow a female photographer to run the camera. Wow. Now, they had very little experience of this, but they had shown them how a camera works by filming them and then projecting the developed film against a screen, you know, in a regular hut. Why did they let the crew in? Once they were done, the crew asked to see the, the natives asked to see the film. And when they showed the film, immediately the um, the natives, according to Carpenter, said that they wanted to sell them, to sell to the anthropologists the sacred instruments, and they wanted things in return, including the film. <laughs> why, why would you sell the sacred circumcision instruments? Because now that we have the film, we don't have to do this anymore. Wow. Yep. And so Carpenter, uh, believing the first directive, the prime directive, <laughs> um, said that they were sorry the film uh, had been destroyed and they, they hid it and never let them have it. They didn't want to interfere with their culture because the gender relations, for example, were dependent upon male initiation. Uh, whether that was a good choice or a bad one. My point is that we're talking about a period when the world is expanding rapidly in the post-World War II period. All kinds of um, societies are getting mapped. We have cargo cults springing up in the South Pacific. We have a contact between uh, the first world and what we now sometimes call the third world that had mm -hmm. not really happened before World War II. And in the face of that, in fact, religions did crumble. When they said, you can't do this, but then said, ah, okay, for money, you can do it. This was really going on. And I wonder if, if Bester is perhaps aware of this as we were. I mean, I remember I was 12 when this was published. I remember mm -hmm. seeing a documentary about cargo cults. Um, maybe he was aware that the ugly American phenomenon um, was something we ought to be reading into this as well, just as using your view of it, we ought to read into it the notion that he can't tell the difference, that is Tom, can't tell the difference between a whole city in flames and just a house or two. Yeah. It's, a, yeah. It, it's a story that makes its point clearly, powerfully, but I think what you and I are discovering here with one detail and another and particularly putting it back into its own period of composition, is that after we get past the, the clear things, after we get past the funny things, after we get past really the very disturbing portrait of, of first worlders, um, there's still always more to say. And remember... You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep.